that video creates questions, doesn't it? Those two women who came to this corner and they turned around and they saw the lady sitting there. They were looking back. They were thinking about, oh, should we do something? But we don't. What were they thinking? You know, it's a little bit hard to tell, but I, I recognize that, you know, there have been a few times I've been in somewhat similar situations and I had this anxious feeling like, I really don't know what to do, but I know that if I get involved, it's going to get messy. Because that's the way getting involved is. And, and if I do something like that, it's going to be a danger to my little safe world. And then you wonder what happens next after that video. Does the, does the lady die of hypothermia? I mean, it seemed like it was bitterly cold. Or, or does one of the women come back with a hot cup of coffee and some granola bars? Or, you know, does she get down on her knees and talk to her? Does she take her to a shelter or, you know, ask the police to kind of help her find a safe place to be? And by helping this lady, what's going to happen to her? Is she going to miss an, uh, an important appointment with a client? Is her supervisor going to write her up for being late for work? This is our second Sunday in the series, Under Wraps. And by the way, if you haven't picked up the Advent devotional for this series, the daily devotional, it is really good. Uh, there are copies at the table right outside the, the doorway the, uh, toward the foyer. And we would love for you to have one. Um, like I say, I, I really appreciate what they have. Uh, now, in this series, we're going to... We're asking the question, what does Christmas tell us about God? And today, what we're looking at is something we don't usually hear. And that is that God is dangerous. God is dangerous. And I don't mean that God is sinister. I don't mean that God is malevolent. But there is some danger associated with God. June 2015, on a Wednesday evening, a young white man entered an African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina. He sat in on a Bible study with 12 others. As the time of prayer was about to begin, he pulled a gun from his pack and killed nine of them. He said his intention was to start to incite a race war in America. Last week, a judge ruled that Dylan Roof was mentally competent to stand trial. And if I were there with him, I'd want to just shake him by the shoulders and say, have you no fear of God? You, you say you want to represent yourself in court. What will you do when you stand before the Almighty? If Roof continues to be insolent and unrepentant on the day of judgment, what will be his fate? You know, some people think God's like Santa Claus, you know. Always merry, always jolly. I would say, read the Bible. Now, anger is not God's primary attitude. I'm thankful for that. But there's plenty in the Bible about the, the wrath of God, and not just in the Old Testament. Jesus talks about it. So do his disciples. A few minutes ago, uh, we heard uh, from the first chapter Brian read of, of the prophet Nahum. Nahum pronounces judgment on the big bad city of Nineveh. 
For more than a century, the Assyrian Empire, uh, and Nineveh was its capital, the Assyrian Empire was just gobbling up other nations and cities, conquering them. By the mid-7th century B.C., the Assyrian Empire stretched from the Nile River across the Fertile Crescent. uh, Is there one more slide for the map? There we go. Across the Fertile Crescent to the Persian Gulf. All of that sort of uh, purple and light blue area was the Persian Empire. Among the nations that they conquered was Israel, which is circled there on the left, uh, which at that time was the northern uh, nation of God's people. In 1722, the Assyrian Empire came in and annihilated them. Most who survived were carried away, never to be heard from again. You've heard about the ten lost tribes of Israel. Well, this is when it happened. And then Assyria set its sights on the southern uh, nation of Judah. Several cities were destroyed. Jerusalem itself was held under siege. Their king was captured. Now, they were not conquered completely but they had to pay a hefty tribute to Nineveh every year. And Nahum comes on the scene, inspired by God, and says, Nineveh's days are numbered. Nineveh, you're going to have to answer to God for what you have done. And in verse 3, Nahum sounds a warning. Watch out, Nineveh. The Lord is slow to anger but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. Don't mess with the Lord, he's saying, or you will pay the price. Maybe Nahum already sees it coming for Nineveh. A weakening Assyria empire is already losing its grips on the, on the extremities of its empire. And then in 612 B.C., the city of Nineveh itself is sacked by the Babylonians. And Nahum says, this is God's judgment. Now, if all you read about God and Nineveh was the book of Nahum, you might think that God rather enjoyed dishing out his punishment and judging the Ninevites. But, Two books before Nahum in the Bible, you read about Jonah. Remember Jonah? Swallowed by the big fish? And the reason he was swallowed is because God wanted him to go to where? Nineveh. That's right. And Jonah didn't want to. So after three days aboard a swimming submarine, Jonah gets spit out and he says, I think I'll go to Nineveh. He goes and and brings God's message. Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And this time, the Ninevites repent. They hear the message and change their ways. They seek God's mercy. So, God decides to spare them, which makes Jonah furious. He doesn't want the Ninevites to be spared. He wants to see them burn. For all the things they've done. But God disagrees. God says, Of course I want to show them mercy. 
Now, scholars debate how much of the story of Jonah is history and how much is parable. But either way, the message is the same. It's dangerous to fall under the judgment of God. But even then, God is slow to anger. He loves to show mercy. The Bible says that wisdom begins with fearing God. Right? Wisdom begins with fearing God. Now, we don't like to hear about that, do we? Fearing God? You know, I don't, I don't want to be afraid of God. But you know, fear simply means to respect God, we revere God, we respond to God. Respect, revere, respond. You know, God doesn't like sending judgment. I mean, that's why he sends Jonas to us, right? Hoping we'll listen and change. But if we have no fear of God, no respect, no reverence, no response, that's a dangerous place to be. When we look at the birth of Jesus, we enter a story that's already dangerous. Please open your Bible, if you would, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. Um, and if you're uh, using the Pew Bible, it's uh, on page 966. And just to give you a little background, King Herod loved power. He craved it. And he had no qualms about killing to keep his power. Matter of fact, he executed some of his sons to protect his throne. One day, a group of foreign dignitaries enters Jerusalem seeking an audience with the king. Let's look, if you will, look with me at verses 1 and 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, who were astrologers, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, anybody at that time in Jerusalem who knows King Herod knows that this spells trouble. It's not going to be good for any child who is assigned some role of being king. Jesus is born into a dangerous world. And then verse 3, are you with me? It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. The arrival of Jesus is a danger to Herod, actually more than he knows, because Jesus will bring a kingdom that supersedes all kingdoms. He will be a king that is a king above all kings. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And they'll confess it either willingly or unwillingly. And the arrival of Jesus is a danger to you. Do you know that? The arrival of Jesus is a danger to you. In what ways, you ask? First, the arrival of Jesus is a danger to my control. Herod could tolerate no rivals. And you and I have some Herod in us. We don't want to relinquish control. We, don't, we are unwilling to let someone else ascend to the throne. I want to be in charge of my life. I want to run my life my way. I am the master of my fate. I want to determine my course. 
So when we hear about the arrival of one who has the authority to usurp my position, it's disturbing. I don't want a new sovereign. I am my own sovereign. And yet, Jesus comes. He comes quietly. He comes gently. He comes to rule, but not as a tyrant. He comes as a servant. And he earns his royal title through his sacrifice. And Jesus shows me that my, my control was an illusion all along. I think I'm in control, and yet I am a slave. I am a slave to my sin. I am a slave to my impulses, my insecurities, my insatiable need. And he shows me a better way. So I'm trying to quit being in control. I, I want to let him ascend to the throne. And each day, my aim is to do his bidding. But you know how it is. Sometimes I want to reclaim my throne, right? I want to be in charge. And I find that I pay a price for that. But I'm learning slowly to let go. Let go. The arrival of Jesus is a danger to my control. The arrival of Jesus is a danger to my comfort. When Jesus came, it was certainly a danger to his comfort, wasn't it? Imagine a conversation in heaven among the angels. Word is out that the Father uh, wants to send someone to earth to be born as a human. And all the angels go into a panic. Ah! They don't mind, you know, showing up to earth for short assignments, but they don't want to live there. In heaven, the weather, I, I mean, I'm just guessing, but I'm guessing in, in heaven, the weather's always perfect, right? And in, and in heaven, the angels, they get to wear these dazzling white robes. And, you know, you, once you're a human, you live on the earth, you have to put up with all this smelly bathroom business every day. Ew. As a kid, you lose your teeth. You grow up and your voice changes and your body changes and your mood changes. Who'd be willing to leave the comforts of heaven? And then a voice near the Father says, I am willing. The divine Son sets aside his comfort and is wrapped in frail human flesh. And he's given a name, Jesus. You know, I'm just like everybody else. I, I try to create my own little comfortable heaven. Don't you? I mean, I, my, my house, I try to keep it not too hot, not too cold. So the weather in my house is pretty good usually, right? And, and I like to have my pantry stocked. Um, and I have plenty there to entertain me, music and movies and activities. And we like, this time of year, we like to decorate our home to make it more festive. You know, by historical standards, I live a royal life. But the arrival of Jesus is a danger to my comfort. Because Jesus goes to darker places 
he goes to a child who cries to sleep because there's not enough food to eat. He goes to a worker who has lost his job and doesn't know how he can face his family at home. Will I go with him? Jesus goes to an addict who sleeps under a bridge. He goes to a family that on the outside looks perfect, but inside is rotting away with bitterness. Will I go with him? Jesus goes to share a meal with an elderly woman who's, who's lonely. He goes to Omaha to serve uh, North Omaha with, with Abide. Will I go with him? I mean, it might not be safe. You see, the arrival of Jesus is a danger to my comfort. And then what about me? I mean, I've got my issues. I've got my faults. But I'm comfortable with them, you know? C.S. Lewis says this. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At, at first, perhaps, you, you understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains, uh, the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. And you knew those jobs needed to doing, and so you're not surprised. But then he starts knocking things around in the house in a way that really hurts and doesn't seem to make sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he, he's building quite a different house from the one you thought of. Throwing out that new wing over here and putting on an extra floor over here, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought he was going to uh, build a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. Jesus is remaking you. Don't expect it to be a comfortable process. The arrival of Jesus is a danger to my comfort. And the arrival of Jesus is a danger to my conclusions. Now, for example, nobody thinks they're prejudiced. Isn't that right? Pretty much everybody thinks, well, I'm not prejudiced. But you know, I've found that there's a lot that I am blind to. And that blindness can oftentimes affect my conclusions. For example, uh, every December, Trish and I watch the movie White Christmas. Anybody ever hear why you watch it? White Christmas? All right. Uh, it's a 1954 rom-com starring uh, Bing Crosby and Rosemary Clooney. We watched it just a few days ago. And I watched it and I realized something. It's all white people. Everybody. The stars, the extras, Every person in the movie, it gives new meaning to the, to the title, White Christmas, right? And suddenly I thought, what if we had invited friends over to watch this movie and they were our African-American friends or Asian-American friends or others? How excluded might they feel? I, I might... I might feel like I needed to apologize for, for selecting a movie at, at, uh, 
produced at a time when, when people of color were rarely, if ever, included. But the, the real issue for me, that doesn't mean I'm not going to watch it again, but the real issue for me is that I'd watched that movie a dozen times and never consciously noticed it. That's, that's white privilege, isn't it? I'd been living in a world where I didn't have to notice. So I didn't. But Jesus is a danger to my conclusions. He makes me face myself. He makes me face my world. How is the arrival of Jesus a danger to you? To your control? To your comfort? To your conclusions? You see, Jesus didn't come to show up and just be nice to everybody. To be a little Santa Claus. Jesus came to shake things up. To shake us up. Friday morning during my prayer time, an idea came to me. And uh, the more I thought about it, the more excited I got. Um, and now before I tell you about it, I, I want to bring back this uh, map that I showed back in uh, October to the kids at children's time one, one day. And then, uh, and then also I showed it at a meeting in November. And uh, this is a map of the uh, 68137 zip code. Uh, and uh, each, you'll see, it's kind of outlined here in, in red pin dots that are, that are there. Uh, that, and uh, so you can see that the, the zip code. And each pin represents a home that has children somewhere between the ages of 3 and 12. And there are 931 of these. Last month, I said that this zip code is our Jerusalem. Remember how Jesus said that, you know, told his disciples, I will, you know, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then going out to the rest of the world from there. But he wanted them to start with Jerusalem. So this is our Jerusalem. This is where our mission begins. And now, some of us don't live in this zip code, but I believe as a church, this is where we're supposed to start. And focus our efforts. Uh, some of you remember that we sent postcard invitations to each of these 931 homes in October, inviting families to our trunk or treat. So, anyway, Friday morning I show up to the office and I ask my assistant Brenda Bowers to create postcard invitations to our Christmas Eve services, each one labeled with one of these names and addresses. And uh, so this morning, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do something that might feel a little dangerous. Today, I'm going to ask you to take one or more of those cards, but I don't want you to mail them. I want you to deliver them with some Christmas goodies. Maybe you really like to make fudge. You're good at fudge. And so you're going to take a little plate of fudge 
with a card attached to it. Or maybe you have a special cookie recipe. So you're going to make and bake and take those cookies. Uh, maybe you're really into at Christmas time, you know, making these little small loaves of banana bread. Or you like to cover pretzels with bark. I mean, it's really what you want to do. Maybe you don't like to do any of that. You're just going to go to the bakery and buy some cookies. You can do that. Maybe tape on a half a dozen little candy canes to the card. I don't care. So, anyway, I've been thinking about this. What am I going to call it? And here's my idea. Ring those bells. <laughs> you don't like it, do you? All right. Okay. So, when you get to the house or the apartment, uh, ring the bell. And if you're okay meeting strangers, then, you know, just wait a minute or so and see if they come to the door. Uh, and, of course, you can just have a little brief one-minute conversation. Just tell them, hey, I'm here from Faith Westwood. And, you know... We just love to invite you to our church for Christmas Eve. This, here's some goodies I made or brought, and, and uh, here's an invitation. Hope, Merry Christmas. And, uh, you know, no need to go inside, just kind of a doorstep visit. And if they don't answer the door, uh, then you can decide whether you're going to leave it on the step or try to come back later. It's really up to you. Now, some of you are going freaking out. You're going, there's no way I'm going to visit with strangers. I'm just not wired that way. So you can do ding-dong ditching, right? You're going to ring that doorbell, you're going to set it down, and you're going to scram out of there. With those little goodies and the invitation card is right there attached. And if you do that, I'm okay with it. Now, I got to tell you, we had 931 cards at the beginning of this morning, and uh, the first service, we had a huge crowd, and they decimated the stock. So, hopefully, I mean, we're going to try to get them around so just nearly everybody has one uh, if you want one. And uh, so I'm going to ask the ushers now if you'll come and help me with that. Um, now, um, some of you will no doubt, yeah, come on down. Uh, you'll, you're no, you're going to be, the, you're the kind of person, you're going to want to decorate your package. You know, your little plate of goodies. You're going to put ribbons and bows on it. And, but I want you to know that's optional. You don't have to do that. Some of you will want to write a little handwritten note and sign your name to it. And some of you are saying, I'm not writing anything and I'm not signing my name. You know, completely anonymous. That's okay too. Uh, you might get to a house where it has the name of the people at this address and you go there and it's not them. Well, some of these addresses, what we, we get, they're not current. So that's okay. Just give it to whoever's there. That's going to work. Uh, now, I also want you to know that these cards are bundled geographically, okay? So hopefully you're going to be in a similar area uh, for most of them. And um, you might say, well, what if I want to do a little more? I want to give to some of the houses in between the ones I'm assigned. Well, I think we've got some extra cards of these out at the info center, and you can grab some extra ones to give to those, or maybe you just want to take them to your own neighborhood. You can certainly do that. Take them to your neighbors. Now... My only requirement is that you deliver them after 9 a.m. in the morning and before 8 p.m. Don't, don't, don't go out any after 8 o'clock, okay? All right. Now, some of you are saying, I have never rung the doorbell of a stranger in my life. Sounds risky. Even a little dangerous to my comfort level. But it's a place to start. And I'm hoping that 931 bells get rung. 
And maybe they'll come to our Christmas Eve service or maybe they'll just, maybe you'll just plant a seed. It takes a lot of seeds sometimes. Plant a seed. Be a good representative of our church and of the Lord. You see, the arrival of Jesus is good news for all people. But we also know it's a danger to our control and our comfort and our conclusions. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we, we feel more comfortable and, and secure when we kind of can stay in our own little area and what we can predict and what we know and things don't get messy that way and yet Lord you showed up into our world and things got messy for you and even now you continue to go out into this world in the places that we would rather avoid and so Lord we we're just saying we're willing to take that step and go with you and maybe Taking a postcard and an invitation card and a little plate of goodies is just a beginning step. A small step, but an important step. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will empower us as we do that. That you'll give us a, a love that really cares about people. Give us a boldness that's not afraid or ashamed but willing to go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.